Welcome to Far Realms Radio. I'm Skyler. And I'm Justin. This is our podcast of many things. Where we give you eldritch advice to improve your Dungeons and Dragons games. Let's dive in. Welcome to Far Realms Radio. This is our episode about wizards. Wizards. The class wizards. Classism is not real, except a wizard probably would buy into it. It's very important in D&D, at least. So wizards are, are one of the core, I think, archetypes of, of D&D. It's, it's one of the things that goes way back to the beginning in some form or another, and it has influenced a variety of other game thinkings, uh, ranging from Final Fantasy to... I mean, I would even argue the most recent Star Wars game. Harry Potter. It's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what would you say, Justin, a wizard is in D&D? How would you... What is a wizard? Let's say I'm new to the game, and, and you and I both have friends who are like, let's try D&D, and Generally, they come to the table. Like, what is a wizard? Wizards are going to be your supreme magic users, the best arcane like magic sorcerer user. supreme like dr strange pretty much that's gonna be your wizard not technically because sorcerer but you know we'll get into that except tony stark calls him a wizard yeah he's pretty much a wizard uh essentially they're the ultimate magic user they have to choose their spells and prepare them beforehand they learn magic through study and application and experimentation rather than through talent or divine intervention which is kind of the main definition of a wizard they have a spell book it, yeah they have a spell book you can learn all the spells he's the magic guy huh you he's the magic guy you want to the spells got the magic spell for you you cast the spells you be you this give guy me time i have spell I, I like wizards because they have that spell book and that's an open book that allows them to add spells it's very the fly. cool to have this additional ability to collect spells as you go through your campaign it's pretty fun because you can there's the role play aspect of your wizard learning but it's also that player aspect of accumulating power yes and and the wizard i think is the class that is one of the most interesting from a, a dm perspective because it has the potential to radically alter and change oh, man. the game the wizard gives the player the ability to fuck up the game more than anything else i think which i think is one of the areas where the game really shines that, that's dnd right right so uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the history of the class and how we how how the wizard in fifth edition today how looks it came like to it, be yeah like what because it didn't start out as wizard it was it was magic no, user back magic in the day. user that yeah. was the original name magic user back in OD and D in seventy four inspired by spellcasting magicians from everything from Jack Vance's Dying Earth short stories to Gandalf and Saruman from Lord of the Rings. Merlin of uh, King Arthur is also another really good example to point out. This one really also feels like it has that those roots from sword and sorcery. Oh, you know? oh definitely. Like it's, not, it's not like, here's a wizard that's necessarily storied in 
spells like Dumbledore might be, or Gandalf, you know, who's There's some powerful action component. It was like magic user. This is a broad category of mystery, strange, using the magic, strange and mysterious that we don't necessarily trust, which has a strong sword and sorcery vibe. Like, wow, I don't know, weird. Is it dark arts, blood magic, demon magic, the dark wizard arts. magic? Yes, all exactly. of the above. Exactly, all of the above. And this is where we see the big first influence of Jack Vance and his what's now referred to as Vancing magic, which I know Skylar has feelings about. I have feelings about Vancing magic. Opinions Mostly with a capital O. I will not share. I'm Essentially, wizards. Vancing magic is where wizards memorize their spells and then forget them when they cast them. Because they become derpy all of a sudden. I you did, learn this spell and right. then you cast it and you become derpy. I'm sorry. Uh, I cast my magic. Whoa, what, can you like talk to me about what it does? No, I forgot. I forgot. So that's why... <laughs> oh my god. So that's the magic system we still use to this day in D&D. Why can't we have spell points, please? Spell point systems Just are magic, a good points, magic points, mana points. Please. Sorry, I rant, rant. What? I will One place do you here. do see that is the uh, the mystic class. It's only showed up in Unearthed Arcana so far, but they did offer a mystic scion point system there. They did. Uh, and so you'll see homebrews of wizards using sorcerer points. Vancing magic, I mean, it was influential in D&D for a long time, and, 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 and a lot of other things, too. This notion of how do we cast magic, because there isn't a lot of precedent. And if you look back at history for where there are spells in, in, in lore— in, in our history, if we're talking about the kinds of things, like where what's the precedent for wizards? How should magic work? And in Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, Hindu mythology, they just have the ability to do magic stuff. You know, it's not really clear if there's like a, a wizard like Merlin. Merlin casts spells when the narrative demands and that Merlin casts spells. When you spell. look at like where they do have details, like in alchemy, you look at it and you're like, Ew, gross. No, that actually, that's just gross. That doesn't do anything. Lord of the Rings, Gandalf has magic power, and it's evident in his actions in that he uses the magic power to solve problems Gandalf faces, but we have no sense of the scope or scale of Gandalf's power. We have no idea what magic system he's using. Even in Harry Potter, we have no sense of the the scale or... They do have to have wands most of the time, though. They do, but Dumbledore doesn't. I was not down with that prerequisite. I'm a Dragonlance kid myself. I was like, by the time Harry Potter came around, I'm like... Oh, you have to use wands? That's cute. So one of the things that's interesting about wizards is that it it, it, it was an institutionalization of a, a system for representing how you roleplay through these imaginations of magic. Like, how do you... How do you adjudicate it? How do you manage it at a game? How do you even have it applied to a war game, which right. D&D started and as, with soldiers on a table? There's people out there that they're just known for writing magic systems. <laughs> yeah, of all things. And so I, I think that one of the things interesting about D&Ds is that it does a pretty good job of bridging that gap. Um, but it started really quite out there, you know, and back in old magic user era where they're like, we're going to we're gonna try and bring all this under one umbrella. We have a priest, separate class. Yep, cleric. And, you know, like, and they were healing and they were fighting, you know, it's sort of but in yeah, that, like, magic, religious way. Magic user was way. a s- super, like, big bucket. Ranging all. from, like, Gandalfy type Merlin-ish wizards to, like, your tribal witch. Yep at a village throw them all in ranging to what which doctor voodoo you know it doesn't yeah, matter you would all see like subclasses and kits in later editions but even in the od and d as you leveled up your magic user you went from medium to seer to conjurer to thurgist to thaumaturgist magician enchanter warlock sorcerer necromancer and then finally wizard i think it's interesting how the necromancer is this the, the penultimate second to last right second to best. that makes sense wizard is the best necromancer is second the good best. guy has to be the best but yeah you weren't even a wizard technically until you got to max level 
I think in, so. In, you could see the big giant like kind of circle they drew there and just threw everyone everything into it. except interestingly enough in you know the one that they called out as a separate thing that was a special second secondary class specialization illusionist? class was the illusionist yeah, of all things and you're like why was that why? one different like right what? that was AD and D right first the first edition it was, uh, yeah the the, the follow up off of the immediate but first didn't you have to right? be a gnome though or gnomes, gnomes could no, gnomes could also be illusionists also, yeah and this and this persisted into second edition too where it changed from magic but gnomes, user into gnomes mage. couldn't become magic users so they could only be illusionists no and it and it, and it became a mage in second edition right it, you know like they changed the name of they made it sort of more broad and yes, elves yes, could be yes. mages this is and why humans I, could be mages this is but, why when i was a kid when we play make-believe i was always adamant that i was a mage and not a wizard because i had been reading <laughs> ad and d second edition books and i was an aracocra mage i was oh. not a goddamn wizard i was so adamant <laughs> so about had it more advanced rule set oh i was very adamant about being referred to as a mage when we were playing make-believe in the backyard get the terminology right I took that kid LARPing seriously, man. So, you know, what was interesting was what they delineated as, like, dwarves weren't allowed to be mages in second edition. That's Halflings true. weren't allowed to be mages. Gnomes well, shit, couldn't be mages. Even gnomes but they, couldn't be. But they could be illusionists. Illusionists. Humans and elves could be mages or illusionists. So racist. It was just very strange. It's sort of arbitrary. I think it was, you know, it felt to me when I approached it at the time as a reflection of the history of fantasy. Yeah. Because tropes. Like, right. Very right, trope driven. Very, exactly that. Because there wasn't the internet. And it's coming you know, out of it that like, pulpy war game. You know? Whatever books you could find in fantasy, and there weren't a lot, you know, the sci fi and fantasy section was the smallest section of the library if it had one. And yeah. now oh. it's like. Now it's right there at the front. It's a staple. It's where all the money comes from. Anyway. Yeah. So. You know, I think that uh, what's interesting is that Vancey and Magic persisted through all this time. And uh, it, for whatever reason, became fundamental to not just the wizard class, but to how D&D approaches magic arcane as a whole. Arcane magic just works that way. Not just arcane, divine too. I guess divine is less that you forget it. You're just only, your deity only gives you so many to prepare each day. In second edition, the two are one and the same. In 3rd edition, they phrased it differently, but the mechanic was identical. In 4th edition, the mechanic is based on... Mm-hmm. It's identical. It's based on encounters and Encounter based. long rests and so on. And in 5th edition, they say it's the same thing except when you get it back, right? That's the only difference now is do you do it based upon studying your spell book at a long rest or do you pray at a certain time of the day and get spells back then? That's true. There's some switch up there. Is it memorization or did you just lose the power? And then they also pulled back, I think, in this edition, too, from wizards having it leave their mind. They just don't have it. They have quietly stepped away from the whole fancy bit over have it time. Prepared. I think that's smart, stepping more towards the monopool source of magic kind of thing. It just makes more sense with how we look at magic in most systems today. There's a lot of supplements in this area, too, that can be often quite out there and break the game. This dates back way early even to, like, some of the Tome of Magic and Complete Wizard's Handbook. From 1990 or yeah, so, Yeah, they came probably. out in second edition, right? These, yeah. these kinds of things that they were it's, like, hey, we, we know that, like, you want to be a wizard, and here's a, a, a an expansion of spells in your repertoire and ways you can think about magic, which every time, at least all of the tables I've ever run or played at, when a player comes to the table with that supplement and says, DM... Can we add the Tome of Magic hand, you know, or the Complete Wizard's Handbook? The DM gets a particularly kind of greenish look on his face. Like, oh no. And the other players go, ooh, 
what kind of game is this again? Like, do I want to switch my class? <laughs> I mean, part of it is I think that this gets way into the detailed magic bits. And I think it's a place where you have to be careful because of how magic is written in D&D. Each spell is pretty much balanced individually against the system as a whole. Um, that's why you'll see spells like Fireball are generally better than most comparable spells for their level because it's trying to stay, keep the design within the culture of Dungeons and Dragons. And this is something designers of 5th edition have said. They know Fireball's good. People expect it to be good in D&D, so therefore it is. Magic Missile as well. Right? And spells, all because they're all written individually, it's very easy to add a spell that is broken. Right? Very simply. Um, so you have to be careful with with adding more magical abilities or more spells. That's the reason each spell has its own individual entry. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think that... One of the things that also makes your game feel custom to you is if you're a DM and you're going to add, or a player and you come up with a spell idea uh, and you're going to add a spell to the game, then it's inherently going to change the balance of it. Oh, you definitely. Know, you ask the question of, well, who has access to this? Did you figure it out? Is it part of your can only academy I cast school? Our enemy's going to cast yeah. it against you? All this kind of stuff. I mean, if you can work it in, though, in a balanced way, that's a great reward that's for that That's also the kind of thing that makes the game feel custom. You know, And even if it's a little bit unbalanced, too weak or too strong, how does what's the reaction of that? What's the implication yeah, of that? And is part there of a your, different version that comes out Part of the fun later? as a GM is adjusting to that and making yes. up for that. Like, yes. okay, I made that too strong. How can I lessen the the effect that's having on the narrative right now weirdly in second edition i thought that it was easier to come up with spell ideas than it was in third edition i agree actually looking at second edition i think it's because of how they're written they're kind of free form and are. a lot of them you look at it and you're like depending on how i argue this to my dm it could do a lot of crazy shit yes yes this was baked into a lot and of the that spells was a big part in second of the edition. game in second edition though was those like right. those kind of those game time decisions of like ah, i'm gonna adjudicate it this way Right. And it creates some cool moments. Third edition changed it, and they made it so that at least whatever way you adjudicated it, it was mostly based on numbers, which I think was an asset. Mm -hmm. Fourth edition removed any kind of room for adjudication. There's just no poetry in the fourth edition. Like, they're just, they just wiped away the whole poetry layer, and yeah. they're just kind of like, yeah. this doesn't read like magic in D&D reads. Like, magic in D&D reads like, this lasts for a day, or until the next sunrise. And fourth edition was like, two encounters. Right. And you're like, um, do you mean like a day? Like, like two, two, hour, how many, what? Three hours? That's why I like charges. I think charges was a great addition over time to magic items. Charges is great. I mean, as a quick sidebar, I think that City of Heroes and other online RPGs really reminded us that recharge systems are, are where it's at. Yeah, MMOs really, really thrive on recharge systems. And I think that's a really powerful reward mechanic for players too, especially for players who pick a class like Wizard yeah. that has a lot of know, different abilities. I know as a DM, I love rolling those recharge abilities for my monsters, like the breath weapons, you know, where oh, they have totally. a re five or six recharge. Maybe it comes back. That's pretty fun to have. Like, you don't always get it, but when you do, you're like, yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah. Those additions, uh, or second edition, those additions to second edition, haha, <laughs> definitely started pushing the on the game balance a little bit, and and that's I think what makes Wizard probably one of the most canonically interesting classes. You can as, fuck as, with that game right. balance, and and this 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 culminates at the very end, of course, in in one of the most powerful spells in the game, which is Wish, and usually yes sorcerer can get it and in second edition there was a cleric uh divine counterpart called miracle mm -hmm. which they removed in third and subsequent editions but um it, it basically you know it's it, it hangs a lampshade so to speak on that you get to haggle with the dm everyone knows wish is probably the best 
spell in the game. It's, it's like it's, the most powerful thing you can do. That's why there's so many jokes about it. It's the blatant one where the, the, the game designers are like, hey, guess what? You're a wizard. You reach the max level. You have the opportunity to change and or break the world. You just have to convince the DM to do it. Because magic. Because magic. So, you know, 5th edition, I think went back more toward that direction than than fourth edition did third edition was pretty good sort of kept in the keeping of like wizards can break stuff sorcerers too by the way because <laughs> yeah, they, sorcerers didn't, definitely. they didn't exist in, in prior editions you know um but uh but i think that, that that's part of what makes the the wizard very very potent is that you have this fiat in a certain sense over how magic works you know as long as the dm buys into it with you this is true. And the nice thing with when we rolled into third edition is they made it easier for that DM to buy in with you by taking away so many of the race and class restrictions uh, for becoming a wizard. I agree. I mean, I, I hated those restrictions. This was, this was controversial, I think, at the time. The weirdly, funny thing is it's like the biggest mark of third edition is that just taking those away. Anybody could be anything. Huge deal. And, and I think that it's really, it's really quite compelling. You know, the, the goal of a role-playing game, let's remember, it's heroic fantasy. It's escapist heroic fantasy. The goal of the role-playing game, therefore, is to empower the players to be what they want to be. You want to be a dwarf wizard? Mm -hmm. Go Do for it. it. Why not? They write ruins on shit all the time. What, what I kind of resisted, so I didn't hate like any... Monoculture stuff just doesn't make sense. There was only one part of 4th edition that really bothered me, and it wasn't that it was systemized, it wasn't that it was gamified, it wasn't anything, mm -hmm. it was it was this one piece, which was that there was a explicit, an explicit suboptimal choice to make, so that if I wanted to be a dwarf and I wanted to be a wizard, I would, by the numbers, by the encounters they published, always be less effective than the gnome wizard who would always be more effective that they they went explicitly yep. this is a suboptimal choice so one downside is to be more systematized right and and i thought you know one of the, it's great that you can be whatever you want to be that's one of the things that this game thrives on that you can have a bunch of people show up at a workplace even sometimes and be like i'm gonna be a dwarfy wizard whatever and it can work with that and it means that you can accommodate a variety of different play styles and what people want to get out of the game at a table. But when you intentionally limit it in that way, this is where I think 4th yep. edition failed I, most I, dramatically. I think removing the restrictions in 3rd edition was such a strong move. I love that they still had like that gnome illusionist connection, though. Like, the gnome's favorite class was not wizard, but it was illusionist. Yes. They later changed it to bard in 3.5, which was kind of weird, honestly. Was, I was like, was. pretty sure gnomes tinker, but... Hey, who am I to make sweeping judgments of gnomish culture? I don't know. It's your IP, bro. Right? I don't know gnomes. <laughs> so, um, I think in five in five E they brought a lot of this sort of flexibility back. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because in fourth edition they did those like roles, like you were a controller and you're focused and on these things. It allowed them and... to now in fifth edition present the classes in a variety of ways, and it would be improper to discuss wizard without context, at least for the other arcane users, the warlocks as well. Yeah. You know, or even Eldritch Knight. That's right? a good point. Wizards used to be the only class that had any access to arcane magic. Once upon a time, they're the only ones that could do anything with arcane wands. And or they became mage relics. and that served as a blanket term. Yeah, I mean, even even in second edition, even in third edition, right? There was still a clear delineation between arcane and divine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you could be a, like a rogue or a bard and be able to use a variety of different arcane or divine. But wizards under automatically understood all the arcane things. So now in fifth edition, they don't have a monopoly on any of that. Right, wizards can, warlocks can, sorcerers can, eldritch knights could, 
Yep. Arcane Trickster's good. Bards. Bards could. There's a lot of arcane magic. There's a lot. So the really the wizard becomes defined by the way in which they interact with magic. And I think that That they're the master of that arcane in, magic. In this particular edition, one of the things I love about the wizard they really capture very well is that the wizard thrives off of planning. The wizard yes. thrives off of I can have the exact tool to solve that problem if I have the time to prepare which for it. Which is different than the sorcerer, which is off the cuff. Right. I'm just going to adapt to the situation. Or the warlock, which is blam, 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 cut, cut, stab. <laughs> the warlock, which, yeah, essentially plays out as a magical, magical fighter most of the time. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, the, the current state of the wizard in 5e is pretty much just the penultimate arcane magic user. And it's the cool thing that they've added now is it made choosing a spell of magic more of a important character choice with more mechanical repercussions uh, in that when you create a wizard at second level, you have to choose an arcane tradition. Um, and in this case, you generally choose one of the eight schools of magic. You, however, can also choose blade singing, which was introduced in uh, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, or war magic introduced in Xanthar's. These, so you have they, 10 they, choices now. These date back to 2nd edition, actually. Yeah, Those... they do. Bladesinger actually comes from... It was one of the supplements yeah. of 2nd edition. You'll see Bladesinger so in 4th edition. Yeah, these are ones that they've kind of pulled through that everyone loves. Bladesingers have been around forever. Uh, so... Looking at those, that kind of becomes a big choice for the wizard. The funny thing, you, know, you still have that ability of having access to all of those crazy spells. But the nice thing with the arcane traditions is it kind of gives you a little bit of focus in terms of what kind of wizard or mage you're going to play. Interestingly, you know, the wizard, I think, was one of the first places that many people encountered a system for magic, you know, I, that's very true. There's like in in literature, there isn't people, really a lot of description magic system about like how magic works systematized. or how you could approach it. You know, it's that or M MP in a video game, right? That came from video games, but even like if you think about it, before video games really had a lot of this, like where are you going to get this from? Mythology, yeah, from books at the library. You know, how are you going to think about what magic can do? How do you quantify Gandalf's power or uh, Dumbledore's power? You notice that's a big part of Lord of the Rings. You really can't quantify quite how strong. Yeah, quite, quite intentionally. super intentionally. So, you know, what was interesting... Same I with think, Yoda originally. Exactly. Controversial about wizards is that, you know, it was a way by which to quantify how you could have power and what the scale was. So what level would Gandalf be? Gandalf didn't have Wish, for instance, but he had a lot of really other powerful magical stuff. So level 15? Level 17? Not 18, because he didn't have Wish. Or was he 18 and didn't pick that spell? And if he didn't pick it, why? Why did, wouldn't did you pick multi, the most? He must have multi-classed. So, <sighs> you know, anyway, it led to a lot of nerdy discussions. And I think that one of the things that's nice about in this particular edition with how Wizard represents itself is that it focuses on uh, a really useful reward mechanic for the DM um, for engaging the player to help you build a setting. And what I mean specifically by that is this. A player who plays a wizard has the ability to collect a new type of treasure. They can have a new spells. boon. Exactly. That they can get. Oh, you there's can nothing more fun spells. than adding something to your spell book. So now so you have the opportunity as the DM to create bad guys that are going to fight who have spells that but, you want to tinker with. So an extra way and to when give your player that carrot. That, they get that opportunity. They can get that spell out of that character's spell book or whatever it is. Maybe they might learn it. You know, so it's a it's a really excellent. I love so, it when players it, choose yeah, wizards more than most other classes. As a DM, like what your player wants to do with their wizard, what spells they're interested yes. in, what kind of wizard yes. are they? Because then you can offer those abilities. Because a lot of wizards comes down to that curiosity of, oh, I have to pursue this knowledge. It's so tempting, and that like you know that 
almost that apple of knowledge kind of right. deal. The tree of right. knowledge. Temptation. All right. So I think... Let's um, go through their... Uh, Features, I guess. We should before we talk about features. I think I, I, I need a, I need a drink. I need to stop in and. Um, you know what? They do have a good amount of spells. We should. We, well, they have a lot. They're gonna go we over. Should you be know? prepared. So, yeah, let's let's jump in this tavern here, and I need to get my my drink on. Let's do it. Welcome to Tavern Talk, the part of the show where we toast to you, our awesome listeners, and we review the brew of the day. So, what are we drinking this week? We have um, Magic Hat. Magic Hat Brewing Company, not quite pale ale, because we're Number talking nine. about wizards. And yeah. there are nine levels of spells. Wizards have magic hats. Exactly. So this was a pretty on-point choice, I have to say. My favorite thing is on the back, it says, wine number nine. Why indeed? <laughs> Why indeed? So mysterious and arcane. Like a wizard. And eldritch. I love it. So that's what we went with. And the description's pretty good. It is sort of dry and crisp. Pretty refreshing ale for the most part. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, little fl- it's... You know, a little floral hoppiness to it. A little bit. It's a little bit stronger than I thought it might be, but I, I enjoy agree. it. Same. It's, it's a nice. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. It's more of a florally fruity hop than I thought it would have, but not in a way that's like fruit overload, like a lot of beers you have nowadays, more on the floral side. No, it's things. more like I would pick this beer because I want a decent beer that will probably get me there, but also kind of light because I don't want a heavy one that's going to get me there. Yeah, light on the palate. And no one will judge me for picking this. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Number nine, they don't know why. Um, Nobody knows. It's not yeah. quite pale ale. Shut up, man. Not why quite. are you asking? It's all right. It's magical. So tell me about this promo we got going on. So we have another one of our uh, promos going on for Far Realms Radio. If you share the show, you can wear win a cool set of dice. New year, new dice. New year, new dice. We're trying to give you excuses for new dice. Uh, so all you There's have to no do is excuse. share. You just need the new dice. Yeah, right. You need new dice. We'll help you out. So share the show on Twitter with the hashtag Far Realms Radio. Otherwise, just send us proof of you sharing the show in any medium whatsoever <laughs> to farrealmsradio at gmail.com and We'll throw you into the raffle. Um, what we have up for raffle this time are some Sinister Emerald dice from Die Hard Dice. The colors of Far Realms Radio. Far Realms Radio colors. And then we also have some sweet Dire, dire D20 for our runner-up. It's very space pink and purpley and cosmic looking. It's definitely from another realm. It's definitely from another realm. You can check them out on the Twitter. We'll post some extra pictures of them up there. Uh, but yeah, share the show, get entered in the raffle. We'll probably end this raffle at the end of January, start of February. Dun, dun, dun. So enter while you can. But that's it for our promo. All right, we should get back and start talking about wizards again. We I think get that back we've, to uh, our wizardry. We've got our magic hats on, you know, so let's go. Uh, You're a wizard, Skyla. Figure out why number nine is so important. Let's go figure out why why number nine. Is nine. it the meaning of life? Nine levels. Is it like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> I don't Except know. like 10th level spell, obviously. All right. We spent too much time in this tavern. Back to the show. Let's go back to the show. And we're back to talk about wizards. So, 
Uh, Wizards have a bunch of different things that fall under their purview. Let's just go through some of the features that they have. So they have um, a 1d6 hit dice. Um, their saving throws are intelligence and wisdom. Wisdom is pretty solid. Intelligence is probably the most useless saving throw. But, you know, you know it's not a 1d4. You have more health than a cat. You used to have less health than a cat. I mean, first level wizards in older editions were basically useless. You like know? you, oh man, you were glass cannon to a T. You really were that JRPG character where it's like they're the worst character at level one, but if you can somehow grind them up, they become like super OP. The worst part about second edition was that you had more experience you had to get than every other class, yep, so different. you were going to be level one longest. And you used to hear the phrase quadratic wizards and linear fighters because as a wizard leveled up, you became exponentially more powerful with mm-hmm. what you could do whereas mm-hmm. fighters did not and that's why you tended to see different uh advancement systems was to try to deal with that craziness but essentially wizards have spell casting um they cast them with a spell book the cool thing is you can copy spells into the book uh, you do have to prepare the spells beforehand so you can't cast them on the fly from a pool like a sorcerer can if you only have two of a certain spell prepared too bad that's it but also they're very good at rituals too but yeah you can cast as rituals as well which is another great reason to have a full spell book um the spell casting ability is intelligence uh, aside from the artificer that they just added this is really the only class that uses intelligence as its primary ability in it's 5e true. which is a design oversight if you ask me but hey you know intelligence is finally getting some more love at least the wizard really like makes it worth it so one of the cool abilities you don't hear a lot for wizards is arcane recovery. Uh, you actually give it a level one, and once per day you can uh, use a short rest to expend spell slots, uh, which is pretty cool. It's equal to less than half your wizard level, um, so not a ton of them. You know, if you're a fourth level wizard, you can get two levels worth of spell slots back. Gives you a little warlock flavor there. Right. But it's really nice because otherwise as a wizard, once you run out of spells, you're like begging the party to take a long rest. And sometimes that just isn't going to work narratively. So a short rest as an option is great. This is something I think that this edition still suffers from. And this has been true of spellcasters since the very beginning where it was all magic user. Mm-hmm. Which is, from a player perspective, the most satisfying thing that we have as a wizard is our highest level spell. We just recently learned it. It's probably the blammiest or most awesome that we're going to cast. We want to use it. We know the session is only four hours probably or a little less. We want to, you know, get our satisfaction off on it and and look like a badass in whatever oh, yeah. it is you want to get out of it. So you're going to use that as often as you can. However, you have some real limitations on when you can and can't use that. So, you know, players historically, because uh, we play once every other week, I've had some weeks in between, whatever. I'm go gonna, for it. Go for it. I'm going to use it again. Uh, I'm spent. Well, okay. Can we just take another long rest? Yeah. Then that's something then you use it again. Take another of. long rest. Use it again. I personally tend to be the wizard who doesn't use the spells enough. And I'm like, oh, I should probably cast these. I still have them. Yeah, definitely should. Definitely, definitely should. I'm also the player in the JRPG with like 99 max potions in the boss fight. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't use these. What if I need them later? (laughs) I know this is the third form of the final boss, but I might need these potions later. I think it's important to remember when playing the wizard. And the arcane recovery was something that came in starting, I think, this kind of recovery of spells in fourth edition with encounter-based powers. Thank God. Because we finally were able to admit to ourselves as a community in this game that it's satisfying to blow your spells early 
just use we, the damn thing. Use them. It's, it's what the class is built to. And then get them back. There's and too this much is, anxiety this with is about using resources. Sometimes. Video games got to this. This is why I talk about recharge magic so much because they got they got to this point very very quickly. You know, but you reliably know the pro like how to recharge in those situations, right? It's yeah, a little bit you know easier. What the timer is. Yeah, you know the right. timer. You know if there's wandering monsters. You know the risks. So in D and D, the you don't usually always have as much information. But one of the things that I think makes the wizard super stand out aside from getting the arcane tradition level two is you kind of form signature spells regardless over time as you just play the wizard you like yeah, what there's certain you spells you cast you all the time it. yes and at 18th and 20th level you actually get abilities that play into this a little bit it's kind of late if you ask me you're probably never going to use these um but at 18th level you get certain spells that you can just cast at will at first and second level um, you can cast them without expending a spell slot at will, which I think is really cool. It makes sense because, like, at a certain point at a wizard, like, why can't you just cast the damn spell and not forget it? Right. So it's nice to see at 18th level you get a little bit of that, which is cool. It, it, it's not really game-changing. It's not a big deal for an 18th level, honestly, if you ask me. But it's kind of a nice nod to, like, hey, you didn't forget the spell, which is satisfying <laughs> in a way to older old-school players. I mean, this was this was part of it, too, like... It really, the wizard boils down to how many uses of what do you have by the time... How many fireballs do you have? Right, by the time you're going to need to rest again. you know. And and this is where 3rd edition really enshrined it as how many encounters are you, are you expected to be able to field before you level up slash rest yep. again. And 5th uh, edition backs away from that some, you know, but it gives you instead mechanics by which you can recover. So it's a little yeah. more adaptive. You get signature spells at level 20, which kind of doubles down on that again. And you get another two spells at third level that you could just always cast. You don't need to have them prepared. You can just do it, which is great. One of the things that I like about Wizard is the the different schools that you get, all the different kinds of powers that you have. And, and we touched a little bit on some extended ones earlier, yeah, but we'll I think... Go, we'll go through them now. It, I, I particularly want to go over the Bladesinger and the War Magic. Right. So well, let's skate through these other ones. I think that, you know, what's nice about this is it's like sort of harry potter style they're like here are the different types of magic you can do here is what the different houses quote unquote I are i love this part and and they they range of course from like trafficking with raising the dead to conjuring things from another plane to transmuting things from one substance to another to spying on each other like it's it's wide out there you know abjuration is protection evocation is blam blam fire and and brimstone etc mm-hmm. um but in in the doing of this they provide a kind of template for how you can extend what the capabilities of magic are. And why this is important is because let's remember that we're sharing our imaginations at a table. It's a collaborative imagination game. We show up and yeah, we fight monsters and yeah, we solve problems, but we're sharing our imagination space. And a wizard identifies all of these different quote unquote codified schools of magic. So the more that you have, the more different possibilities in our imagination that we can have as players. And I think that they hang a lampshade on that, so to speak, with the Blade Singer and the War Mage, which yep. are two different facets They're of slightly different flavors. You know, like you could say a Blade Singer, well why not an Eldritch Knight? Yep. Yep. You know, and a War Mage isn't that just an evoker? Yeah. Ah you see sir. But yeah, let's go through them all kind of quickly. Uh, one thing that we'll just cover now is the first ability for each school at level two is school name Savant. Essentially, it lets you copy um, spells into your spell book in half the time in terms of gold You're cost really and good time at this. cost. You get some acceleration. And that's the same across the board for most of the schools. So we're not going to get into those specifically. Um, but we'll look at like school of abjuration. 
emphasizes magic that blocks, banishes, or protects. So Arcane Ward is kind of the signature move of this school. Essentially, you create a magical ward on yourself that has a hit point equal to twice your wizard level plus your int mod. So this ward takes damage for you. So it allows you to essentially, it's a shield spell. It's a different form of the shield spell. Mm -hmm. um, and then you eventually can cast this um, differently towards other creatures. You can do projected ward at level six. And at level 10, you get improved abjuration. Uh, you can, anytime you make an ability check as part of casting a spell, you can add your proficiency bonus to it. And then you get spell resistance at level 14. Advantage on saving throws against spells, which is pretty damn good. Abjuration is about warding. Furthermore, here's the crazy thing. Furthermore, you gain resistance against the damage of said spells with spell resistance. Yes, yeah. it's about warding and protection. Warding and protection for abjuration. That's what it is. It pretty much does what it says. Honestly, with that one, I almost feel like I'd rather play a cleric, almost. You know, one of the interesting things about abjurers is that in every edition, there's this sentiment that they are underpowered. This is true. And I think that, I don't know, 5th edition does an okay job at providing some kind of teeth for abjurers. If you trigger this ward, mm -hmm. you're going to regret it. Yeah. But it definitely makes a strong statement to play an abjurer. I'm going to play a protective wizard. I'm going to be a reactive character. It's a cool class to really lean into. I'm going to break into. the rules to react to you. But as a DM, pay attention to what kind of triggers that player is going to set up. They're going to look for a bunch of different kinds of triggers that they're going to protect against. And you have to make sure to reward them for doing protection. Because exactly. the game may not do that exactly. mechanically inherently. Uh, conjuration. Or at least highlight it. The next one, conjuration, has, has interested me for a while because it governs in, in historical editions everything from summoning demons to elementals, very wide, to healing yeah. people. So the first ability, of second level that you get, is essentially you can conjure up an inanimate object into your hand, so you make an object appear. Poof, poof, out of a magic hat. I Here's guess. Here's a hammer, right? Just like the beer we're drinking today. Uh, the next one at level six is benign transportation. You can essentially teleport 30 feet. Um, focus conjuration at level 10. While you are concentrating on a conjuration spell, your concentration can't be broken. That's always a nice plus to have. Boon. And at 14th level, any creature that you summon or create with a conjuration spell gets 30 temporary hit points. That's pretty good. That means you can throw out some shitty little summons that have a decent amount of hit points to soak up. I think that one thing that is often an opportunity for people who play conjurers is to think about what it is, the tone of what it is you summon. You know, at, at the end of the day, when you're playing a conjurer, you're, a gonna, flavor. you're gonna summon a bunch of stat blocks. Right. It doesn't matter as much what they are. What it's matters really cool is the if stat you're block mechanics. Like a conjurer who just fights with floating blades. Yeah, I mean you That's could just cool. Yeah of course this is something to talk about or with your rocks. DM. You're just like you just have flying rocks and you just throw rocks at people. At the end of the day, like it's a lot of opportunity you know. for flavor and creating the kind of character you want. You summon a power, it has a yeah. stat block, you're gonna use it, and it might be an earth elemental or it might be a goblin. It's gonna have a mechanical effect, for sure. Uh, I think it's a really bold choice, however, to play the next one. I agree. And I I, I always I always have some trepidation every time a player is like I'm going to be a diviner. And the trepidation I have is is entirely around, are you going to be disappointed in that choice? Or are you? do you know you're doing well enough that you're going to really mess with this game? <sighs> because if you look at Porton at second level, uh, when you choose a school, when you finish a long rest, you roll two d20s and record the numbers rolled. 
You can later replace any attack roll, saving throw, ability check made by you or a creature that you can see with one of these foretelling rolls. You must choose to do so before the roll, and you can replace a roll in this way only once per turn. And this is definitely for a player who is like, that's super powerful, though. I want to muck Narrative with the control. Yes. It's great for players who want narrative that control. That guy fails. And oh, that can, guy, he fails, This too. can be game-changing. If they hold onto that roll when they need a fail or success, it really pays it back. Like, rarely do you get to have an ability to roll beforehand and you just switch it in. Right. So, you know, note to the DM, this is a player who wants to be able to control more of the narrative. And I think they realize that divination spells aren't all super powerful because at level six when you cast a divination spell second level or higher you regain an expended spell slot right they're, they're like, like hey just have this like, one for we, free we know we're just gonna give you kick it back a little bit um though the 10th level ability is pretty cool uh, you get the third eye and so you gain dark vision ethereal sight greater comprehension and see invisibility so you can read any language see invisible creatures see into the ethereal plane and you gain dark vision if for some reason you don't already have it. It's fifth edition. You probably already have it. <laughs> Everybody except human and dragonborn. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so the next one would be School of Enchantment. This one's pretty straightforward. You're going to enchant things to do other things. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, it's like mind control right? and also enhancements. Right. When you hear enchantment, you think more my, more objects, like artificer, but there's more mind control here that. than you would think, actually. It is. It's really charm. Um, hypnotic gaze is your second level ability. Uh, you can charm a creature, essentially. Whoop-de-doo. Um, <laughs> you have spells for this, too, so you're just more charmy. You just charm things... Charm the pants off of everything. Right. D&D has a particular interpretation of enchantment, you know, and, and it doesn't... It's essentially you're temporarily their best friend. It's, it is it's... also the most nefarious spell ever. Like, it's... you could do some fucked up shit with these charm person spells. Oh, I mean, all of the enchantment school Ugh. spells. It's Ugh. just like... It's creepy. Mind control and a little yeah, weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. You know, so hopefully that you don't have a group that asks you weird questions about consent. And uh, Yeah, use those X cards. <laughs> set those ground rules, man. Uh, and you get instinctive charm at level six. You can essentially use your reaction to d divert attacks um, from some creature that's attacking you by just being so charming. Um, it's not too bad, though, you know, if you're making them a check, your homies, they're probably going to be like, what the fuck, man? Uh, at level 10, you get split enchantment. This one's kind of cool because when you cast an enchantment spell of first level or higher that targets only one creature, you can have it target a second creature. That's any enchantment spell for first level or higher. That's pretty solid. This is something that I like about enchantment that D&D &D sort of lacks uh, as a school, but other games or systems of magic um, do include, which is the school of manipulating magic itself. Metamagic. Yes. Yeah, right? metamagic stuff. And enchantment is definitely, if there's going to be one, it's going to be that. It's pretty and close. This, and this is basically that part where it's like, hey, if you cast any spell, admittedly of this school... Let's just make it split more, you know, and that makes more sense. Like, all right, well, let's just enhance and widen the effect. Sorcerers can do that as part of their class mechanic, but I think that um, in the way that we represent magic in our minds, one of the areas that D&D &D has left something on the table is how you represent metamagic in that way. I agree. Sorcerers are like the only bit you see there, but because it's instinctive and not by study, it's like, really? Is it that meta? Right. So all, you can only get it through instinct? Yeah, right. Wizards, uh, they seem a little more meta. 
So anyways, School of Enchantment closes out with Alter Memories at 14th level. Essentially, it just lets you charm people and make it so they don't remember that you charmed them, which is like the main weakness of a lot of the charm spells. So if you want to just charm people and be a swarmy motherfucker, this is this this is the school to take. So mental note in today's world, enchanters are excellent villains slash hopefully you don't have to worry about the consent question because high level enchanters have, will definitely have to trigger that in your game. <laughs> so the evocation is a super popular one. This is my most, favorite. This, this is, is my most favorite. Most players gravitate to this one for a reason. Top two anyway. Yeah. Uh, you get second level, you get something called sculpt spells. Uh, when you cast ev- evocation spells that affect other creatures that you can see, you can choose a number of them equal to one plus the spell's level. The chosen creatures automatically succeed on their spell saving throws. So you can sculpt your fireball around your allies. That's essentially what this lets you do. Yes. You can like, it's like careful spell, but you don't have to spend mana magic points. You can just be like, oh, my fireball just is in this shape and it just doesn't hit my rogue buddy over there. And I, I kind of like this more than the meta magic. Well, because it's more wizardry. You're shaping your spell to go around is, your allies. They How cool automatically is that? succeed on the save, which yeah. means that they automatically take half damage. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> it's totally the point. I mean, hey, just just saying, you so were in the way. By the way, pay attention to the spell. You know, damage. I mean, hopefully it's your thief and they have evasion, and you're both cool. And it's a at that point, it's just a cool character combo. It's just quarter damage. Yeah, you know, no, they take none. That was third edition. I thought. No, you take none in this one. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. If you... Evasion is half or none. At fifth level? Essentially, what evasion does, if you have an ability where you take half damage on a a success, you take no damage instead. Okay, that's great. That's excellent. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Anyway, uh, back to the school of evocation. At sixth level, uh, you get to upgrade your cantrip, which is cool. Um, Essentially, if a creature succeeds on a saving throw against your cantrip... The creature takes half the cantrip's damage, so it adds that half damage effect to your cantrip saves, which is a thing. I don't know if that's satisfying enough for level six when you're finally moving beyond cantrips. I feel like level six, if you're using a cantrip, then you're doing you're something a wrong. Or, you, or you you're know. a warlock and yeah, you're I mean, doing things perfectly as, right. As wizards, you should be blaming things <laughs> with other something else. level six, you have fireball. Yeah, so, and, or lightning bolts. Come on. Yeah. Um, empowered evocation at level 10 you can add your intelligence mod to one damage roll of any wizard evocation spell you cast that's okay a lot of them already have that honestly built into the spells description that's when i feel like it should be a given i like, don't disagree yeah you know i think i think you're right like why don't i already have that and then over channel at level 14 this one's a little different uh, you can increase the power of wizard spells of one through five that deal damage. You essentially deal max damage with that spell. Um, and you can kind of do this repeatedly, but the more you use this feature, you take 2d12 necrotic damage for each level of the spell, which I really like is kind of cool because this is that wizard like using their life force to yeah. cast that spell even as they're wasting away. Yep. I, th- I love abilities that allow you to lean into taking damage of some kind for more power i think I that's agree. a great narrative lever for i wish we a had player. more of it in the game i do like those a lot yeah i think they're good so good the next ratio the next school i think is one of my favorites because it's in my opinion the most powerful it's it the played most, right and well sure but i mean it's still i stand by the statement like it has the most potential to be the most powerful because it's a school of illusion which means that it's really ultimately about the school of what you're willing to believe and 
different editions have had different levels they've leaned into this. The illusionists have had always a special place in D and D. This is uh, true, especially related to gnomes. But um, here they systemized a lot of the a lot of it. But but if you look at the actual spells in the school of illusion and uh, major image, minor image, these kinds of mm-hmm. things are part of it. it. It really it gives the player casting the spell a wide uh, palette, a broad palette with which to describe what the NPCs or other characters experience are. It gives you a limited are. canvas, but all the colors to paint with. Yeah, right. Which is great because it allows you to, like, you know, have this more. It's not you. You're not. You don't have as much power as the DM, but you have enough power to quite dramatically seem like you do. A change the scenario. Like you have the power. You know. So improved minor illusion is your first one at second level. Essentially, uh, if you don't know minor illusion, you get minor illusion. The cool thing is it lets you create both a sound and image with a single casting of the spell. Usually, you have to do both. But it's a cantrip, so doing both usually doesn't really matter. Right. But it's nice to have that because the sound can be a big deal for an illusionist. Um, at sixth level, you get malleable illusions. Uh, so if you cast an illusion spell with a duration of one minute or longer, you can actually use your action to change the nature of the illusion, uh, provided you can, you have an eye on it, you can see it. That's awesome. I really like as an illusionist. Like being able to change your illusion on the go to react to the situation is so, so good. So useful. That's so narratively important and just so makes sense for your character. There's nothing worse as an illusionist when like your illusion is suddenly no longer relevant or it should respond in a certain way and it does not. And yep. then you're like, uh oh. The, the ruse have sound. I guess they don't believe the it. The ruse is up. <laughs> so I think that one is more powerful than it seems, to be honest. Just the ability to have your illusions respond and Agreed. change Agreed. is huge. Um, at level 10, you get illusions, illusion. Can you say this one for me? Illusory self. Uh, illusory self. I don't know why I couldn't say that. Must be the beer. Uh, <laughs> essentially when a creature makes an attack roll against you, you can use your reaction to have an illusory duplicate pop up. Um, the attack automatically misses you and then the illusion disappears. So this is a get out of jail free card you don't get a lot of automatic misses a lot in DD. so no, prior editions had mirror image which was mirror, very good yeah, and mirror image works differently in this one this is pretty solid this is pretty good for, especially for a squishy wizard getting a free like a freebie uh I'll, you missed me i'll take it i'll take it level 10's yeah. a little late but i'll take it yeah definitely i'd rather have a teleport but i'll still take it uh <laughs> and then, los yeah right 14th you can cast teleport after that right <laughs> you can find a way to do it i believe in you uh illusory reality is the 14th level you get um if you cast an illusion spell first level or higher you can choose an inanimate non-magical object that is part of the illusion and make that object real so essentially this allows you to fucking warp reality and start creating some magical stuff for example you can create an illusion of a bridge over a chasm and then make it real long enough for your allies to actually cross like just long enough for them to run across it this is really one, has quite broad implications. Oh yeah, the one restriction is that the object can't deal damage or otherwise directly harm anyone. But that's a big deal, right? This is some Mysterio shit right yeah, here. It's super excellent. You're this like is, Mysterio, but for realsies. This is why. This is why. I, one of the reasons I think illusion is the most powerful because it, it doesn't comes down require your creativity. Right. It doesn't require that you actually have the spell that gives you the rules. It, what it says instead is if you can sell the other players oh, in the DM. Yeah, if you have a good. It good works. creativity you can pull the craziest shit with illusion <laughs> and like it, oftentimes it's so good even the dm's just like 
yeah, that's brilliant. I, I can't, can't see any reason why the orcs would think that wasn't real. It's just logical at that point. You can kind of work around game mechanics with just good player level play, mm. which is very satisfying. I think is is a makes it a great class if you can pull it off. So the next school we have is I think one of um, I'm glad that they always make a point to include it because Me too. it's uh, one of my favorites. I mean, it's 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 the school of necromancy. How I could you necromancy. not find it worth talking about? <laughs> so. Uh, Grim Harvest at level two. Uh, once per turn, when you kill one or more creatures with a spell of first level or higher, you regain hit points equal to twice the spell's level, or three times its level if it belongs to the school of necromancy. So you essentially get health from killing creatures. Gaining health and sustain is always good in fifth edition, especially as an guess what? caster. You're going to be killing creatures with your spells anyways. This just adds a bonus to that. You get free health. That's huge. That's Necromancers great. are just practical. That's, That's the best they're justification. Very they're just folks. very practical. It's, Skeleton labor, it's free. I mean, they're, they're all already dead. Right? You may as well just use them. Are they? I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Undead Thralls is your sixth level spell. Essentially, you just get to add Animate Dead to your spell book if you don't already have it. If you're a Necromancer, you should probably get this spell. Um, but when you cast it, you can target an additional corpse or pile of bones to create an additional zombie or skeleton. That's a big deal because that gives you more action economy. And whenever you create an undead, using a necromancy spell, you get these additional benefits. The creature's hit point maximum is increased by an amount equal to your wizard level. Your wizard level, not rounded down or divided by something. It's a pretty good amount because you're level 6 at this point. That means every undead you raise gets a free 1d6 full of HP. Hopefully that's at least another hit. Yeah, right? That's another hit, maybe. And the creature also adds your your proficiency bonus to its weapon damage rolls that's pretty good that's pretty nice like not to hit which it makes more sense with the flavor but if they hit they do some damage i like that so so far pretty good uh at 10th level you get unerred to undeath uh you have resistance to necrotic damage and your hit point maximum can't be reduced I've been that's working okay. with poisonous awful things for so long it doesn't bother me anymore yeah, you're just really numb to the world it's yeah. not darker goth, I promise. It's just, just how it is. Um, and then Command Undead at 14th level. You can use magic to bring Undead under your control, even those created by other wizards. Uh, essentially, they're going to have to make charisma saving throws against your wizard's spell save DC, and then you get to command them. Uh, the more intelligent they are, the harder it is to command them, and you have to deal with more saving throws and so forth. Um, essentially, this just leans really hard into necromancy, which is sometimes there's a lot of overlap with uh, clerics of certain schools. There's a um, part of me that really, 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 really wants to play a necromancer in organized play just because it's the opposite of what organized play usually expects. Oh, yeah, and you can I'm mess gonna with it so I'm going to summon a whole hard. bunch of creatures. Yeah. I'm going to take control of the combat. We have all these things. I'm also evil, by the way. And then you can start like a communist nation where all the labor is done by <laughs> skeletons and then really mess with the economy. Yeah, also I'm sure organized play will love it. <laughs> of course <laughs> anyway let's move on to transmutation this is one of my favorites because it's you my could other just, top two you could just change stuff it's great it's, it's great it, Who it doesn't want to do represents, that i think what i what i feel as the sort I'm, of core spirit of magic yeah yeah but like the just like, alchemy aspect of making right, one thing another thing change something into something else it doesn't you know, also polymorph yeah. you know it's just really it's classic good. wizardry right uh second level you get minor alchemy which is funny now that there's actually an alchemist class. <laughs> right. But essentially, you you minored in alchemy. Uh, you can temporarily alter physical properties of a non-magical ob- 
objects, essentially you can change the material of one object composed entirely of wood, stone, iron, copper, or silver, transforming it into a different material uh, for it's not alchemy quite, purposes. Not, not quite lead to gold. It, but it's the is, lesser you know, version. It's, it's very alchemy in terms of its flavor. Yeah. Um, after one hour until you lose your concentration, the material reverts, which is kind of lame because it's not alchemy. I would prefer if it was permanent, like the alchemist's or the artificer's abilities, but what can you do? You're just a wizard. You're not really an alchemist. Bum, bum, bum. Transmuter stone. At level six, you can spend eight hours to create one of these. Uh, I love things where you can just get permanent benefits all the time. This is nice because it's like a nice doesn't. just mod on a character. Right? Why you can hand it this? to somebody else, too. Yeah. So you get dark vision out to a range of 60 feet. Uh, an increase to speed of 10 feet while you're unencumbered, which should be most of the time. So 10 right. speed of move. Proficiency in constitution saving throws. That's a big one. That's a big one. And then resistance to acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage. Your choice. Your pick. Each time you cast a transmutation spell first level or higher, you can change the effect of the stone. So you can choose these effects and you can change them by just casting a spell. Pretty cool. Built basically for you to be able to change what bonus you get based yeah. upon what you cast. Most of the time, you're probably going to be using the 10 speed of move and the proficiency in constitution, maybe the resistance. Unless you're a um, human, in which case dark vision. Most of the... Well, I hope you have some kind of cantrip that casts light, like light or dancing lights or dark something. Dark vision is better than light. I agree, but at this point, if you're in combat, you're probably going to be happier with the move speed or the con throws and a little more visibility. Probably. Yeah. I mean, you should have other ways of... You can cast daylight by this point. By 6th level. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, at 10th level, you get Shape Changer. You can add the Polymorph spell to your spell book. Um, when you do so, you can target only yourself and transform into a beast whose challenge rating is 1 or lower. So not that fun. Um, you can cast Polymorph in this way. You can't do it again until you finish a short or long rest. So that's just a free little Polymorph. Hey! Eh, eh, it's kind of like whatever. They've been stronger the, the, in other editions than this The limit one. on the CR is where I'm just kind of like, if I want to do that kind of stuff, I'll be a druid, thanks, where yeah. I can actually make make it not suck. Yeah. Um, Master, Master Transmuter at level 14. Uh, this is a pretty cool one. You essentially can use your Transmuter Stone to do cool stuff. You can transmute one non-magical object into another non-magical object. Uh, you must spend 10 minutes handling the object to transform it, so you can transform objects into other stuff. Uh, panacea. You remove all curses, diseases, and poisons affecting the creature that you touch with the stone. The creature also regains all of its hit points. Boom. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, restore life. You cast the raised dead spell on a creature you touch with the transmuter stone without expending a spell slot or needing to have the spell in your spell book. And restore youth. This one's kind of just funny. You essentially reduce age by 3d 10 years to a minimum of 13. Sorry, guys. You can't go beyond the. You can't go back once puberty happens. It's permanent, even in D and D, D magic aging world of majority. You can only be de-aged to thirteen. It's like an anime, I guess. So I mean that covers it for the core stuff. Um, but let's I think go through that, my uh, favorites. I think that the Blade Singer is is oh, one of yeah. one of the classic favorites. Oh, in... the Blade Singer is so overpowered and front loaded. That's why they they threw it in there. It's the best part of, of Sword Coast Adventurers. I think. I mean, it's a it's a hearkening back to Second Edition where they brought it in because of some of the lore that Ed Greenwood had in his books. It's it's very elf related. Yes. Usually. Yes. Yes. I mean, the chief restriction is that it's elves only. And obviously, most DMs will consider lifting restrictions to better suit campaigns. But you better have flavor to but, back you know, it up. Think about it, because usually this is elves and half elves are the only ones who choose this 
arcane tradition. So if you're in the world of Faerun, it might matter for world stuff. Otherwise, who cares? Let people do what they want. Right. Uh, one cool bit of flavor that I thought was that uh, the styles of blade singing are categorized based on the type of weapon employed, and they're associated with a category of animal. So within that style, there's special agents named after specific animal types based on the types of spells employed. Dun, dun, dun. The techniques of the master and the particular weapon that is being used. Uh, apprentices will often get a tattoo of their master's chosen style animal. Um, I love this because this just makes it more anime. You know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there's some animals for you right there. Um, so outside of the elf restriction, it essentially combines song with blades and magic. It's a very gishy build. Uh, you get level two training in war and song pretty on the nose there. You gain proficiency with light armor, one type of one handed melee weapon of your choice and the performance skill. If you don't already have it performance skill is kind of interesting. Cause I guess you're singing all the time. I mean, the history was like, it came out of the worshipers of Selune and also Elistre in second edition for the good drow who lived on the surface and were worshippers of the moon and all this kind of stuff. You know, so there's like lore backing behind yeah, it. Yeah. And they were also very powerful and they were chaotic good. And you know, for History. me, I think of the wild elves in Dragonlance and like how they have the singing magic. Yeah, kind of like, like Dalimar goes and learns their magic at some right. point. Right. Um, Blade Song is kind of the hallmark ability of this subclass. You get it at second level. You can't wear medium or heavy armor or use a shield, but it's pretty insanely good. It's worth the trade off. It lasts for a minute. It ends early if you're incapacitated or if you put on said armor, heavy shield, and all that. Or, strangely, if you use two hands to make an attack with a weapon. Apparently, you can't sing and use two hands at the same time. You have time. to have one hand to dance. One hand to dance. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. <laughs> when your blade song is active, you gain the following benefits. You gain a bonus to your AC equal to your intelligence modifier. That's insanely good. Your intelligence modifier should be a three or four. AC matters way more in this edition than anything else. Like, like every plus, bonus. Like you, let's say you have a 16 intelligence. Let's plus three to your AC as a wizard. Basically, like if you're an elf wizard, That's there's great. no reason you should not. And you can stack mage class. armor on that, man. Yeah. Uh, your walking speed increases by 10 feet. This is all stacks, by the way. You don't have to choose between these. Right. You have advantage on dex acrobatics checks, which are one of the main saving checks you will make. Hands down. And you gain a bonus on constitution saving throws to maintain your concentration on a spell. You can use the feature twice. This is where the limitation comes in. You regain all expended uses of it when you finish a short or long rest. Twice on a short rest is pretty good. This is a very, very powerful feature. This makes the class and your play style. I even. mean, I think that it's it's relevant that at sixth level you get an extra attack. Like I mean, a, it's not as fast as a fighter or a paladin or what a martial classes would. It's, it's one level it's later. It's gishy that way, right? Which which keeps it gishy because remember that in five e the way that you deal damage at level is through more attacks. Yeah, so, exactly. And wizards don't usually get that. So I I like what this does because the next one leans into that more at tenth level and you can use your magic to absorb damage while bladesong is active so when you take damage you essentially just use your reaction expend one spell slot and you can reduce that damage by five times the spell slots level which is really handy i like that you get to choose you can kind of gauge how much mana you want to use to protect yourself with this right. cool spell shield i guess it's a song but whatever you do a sweet solo on your loot i think it's just interesting that I guess you're singing, actually, huh? 
this is tied to elves to and acapella solo you know like there's no mechanical reason why it should have to be elves necessarily right. we all saw the dwarves do that awesome singing in the hobbit so food for thought you know why you can't can, it be dwarves you just, uh you do what you want to do scratch off the serial numbers that yeah. read elf if you need to for your game exactly and at finally at 14th level they get song of victory you add your intelligence modifier to the damage of your melee weapon attacks which is pretty great if you're going for a Gishi build, this is, this is one of the other ones. Like it's Elder a little Knight squishier. On the, on the fighter end is one way you can yeah. do it. This one is this more is pretty much more your toward the casting reverse Eldritch Knight, right? This yeah, is, I that's mean, what I would you're label have it. Plenty of fight. You're it's just not going to be as durable. It's very front loaded though, so it's pretty solid. It is. You, it Blade Singer is Plus, hard to go you wrong have with. All of the flexibility of Wizard normally yeah. as well, it's which Eldritch the, Knight does not have. It's one of the best things you'll get out of Skag yeah. by far. Yeah. Um, let's move on to our final one, War Magic here. This came to us in Xanathar's, and who doesn't like being better at war in D&D? This, I think, started the original of it. We're talking about like extended supplements in 2nd like, edition, made... but really in 3rd edition, it was codified as the War Mage, which was a <sighs> class you could take. I think it was in the Miniatures Handbook, uh, along with Marshall. You know? And it was, oh, it yep, was basically yep. focused on how do you do like mass combat wizardry. It makes sense. That would exist, you know? And yeah. You see it with hobgoblins, and you're like, why isn't there a player option for this? The Sie- hobgoblins Siege have a wizard. monopoly on this? Yeah. So, I mean, we get some of this. Like, I think that, that that's reflected here, too, in in this particular kind of... In this in this particular subclass. Um, it starts at second level. You get arcane deflection. You've learned to weave your magic into fortify yourself. really cool. You know, it basically... Um, if you're hit by an attack or if you fail a save, you use your reaction to add two to your AC or four to your save. That's crazy, though. It's not just when you're hit by attack, but after you fail, you right. know a so, saving throw. So you've rolled the die, and you if you knew that you would have made Plus it, if you bonus? had two or four for an AC or That's a save, a good one. you can, in fact, retroactively as your reaction fix that. And right? here's, the, here's the thing. You can use this over and over again. I love this. You can When you use this feature, you can't cast spells other than cantrips until the end of your next turn. Right. So you can use this repeatedly to like deflect shit. I think that's really cool. So this this very well portrayed. And it just, like, just kind of limits you using your magic to deflect. So imagine, you can't use it for other you're stuff. Imagine you're a wizard in a big conflict in a fight. There are a bunch of arrows that are coming Gandalf-y. at you. And you like deflect one and then you blast and then you deflect another and then you blast. Right. You know, and you just keep going. So it, it, it very much I captures really that like, like I'm in the midst of a fight. That I... I love abilities that you can use over and over just with a trade-off rather than a resource. Yeah, totally. I find that to be more fun sometimes because you can make decisions that aren't based on resource attrition but based more on context of like what would be cool narratively. Uh, so at, after that, at level two, you also get tactical wit. Essentially, you give a bonus to initiative rolls equal to your intelligence modifier. Not huge, but nice. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to see in any class that they focus it's nice on for intelligence areas to be used for outside. Anything. Yes, areas, especially in this edition, <laughs> because like third edition had a lot of impact, and this one it has not a lot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sixth level is power surge, where you get to store magical energy like a battery in you uh, to empower this and, and damage like your spells. The hallmark of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it's like you get to power up a number of surges equal to your intelligence mod. It's a base of one. Um, and, uh, when you finish a long rest, you, your number of surges resets to one, at least whatever, whatever it would be. Um, 
when you end a spell with dispel magic or a counter spell, you gain one power surge and you steal the oh, magic so good. away from I somebody else it. that you foiled. And if you end a short rest with none, you gain one as well. Because counter spell um, wasn't satisfying enough already. Now you just take it. You use them by once on your turn, you can deal damage to a creature or object with a, any of your wizard spells. You can spend a power surge to deal extra force damage. So you basically make the thing you did. Right. Better. It's not a ton of extra damage. It's half your wizard level. The 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 really thing that kind of that comes to mind with this is the fact that you really want to use dispel magic or counter spell because you gain free power surges from that. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can bank up multiples, right? So you can spend power surges to do that. So you this kind of leads into like, that you shutting down that other caster with counter spell. Your spells have more sculpted and precise impact and damage. You know, you, you're built for war. Whoa. So. Well, I mean, the other classes were sculpting spells, but that was the evocation thing. That's the Two difference. sides of a coin. Two sides of a coin. Uh, what's our last one? Durable magic at yeah. 10th level? Uh, there's one. Yeah, yeah. durable magic. This is one's just one. a nice little like addition. When you maintain concentration as a spell, you get a bonus two to AC and all saving throws. What's interesting is that this Who is... Who doesn't the, want that? This is where it caps out for That's the a, war mage. That is a 10th level that I want, though. Well, sure, but I'm then fine. you have another 10 levels of... That's okay. ...no other bone. I honestly... I almost always prefer front-loaded classes because I can get into the class sooner, enjoy well, they, the and tools also, that I have. Your assumption is you're never going to make it to 20th level. Well, you may in certain, certain campaigns, but statistically, most people... Most people haven't played high level characters. Most people never will. It just you most likely will it's not get there. And so personally it drives me crazy when people freak out about like a level eighteen or twentieth feature not being super balanced. Because I'm like, have you played the game at that level? Right. It's not balanced. Of all the games you've played, how one, many have been? Once you breach ten or eleven, the math kind of just like jumps to the shark <laughs> and it's up to your DM to like figure that shit out. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that covers it for Wizard. I think that's it's, it. Uh, you know, it's a good amount of wizardry there. It is. We've we've covered our magic hats quite well. Yes. Uh, there's no more rabbits left in them, so we should go. All right. Well, until next time. Over and out. See ya. <laughs>